The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. Ben Standing's going to join us on the show here to start. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs briefly, some Wizards briefly, uh, and then we'll get into what happened this week uh, from OTAs. And then at the end of the show, Eddie C., if you remember, Eddie C. was on the show prior to the Preakness. The, uh, the third leg of the Triple Crown, the Belmont Stakes, is tomorrow. Eddie C. gave you the top two finishers in the Preakness, Ron Bauer and Midnight Bourbon. So we'll get his picks and get an update on Bob Baffert and some of the stuff that's going on uh, with that at the end of the show. But Ben Standing is here with me to begin the program uh, today. Um, and I, I, I want to start with something that you're paying attention to and I'm paying attention to, and I think we're both into it because we both love basketball and we don't hate the NBA like a lot of our friends do, um, and we don't find it boring. I find the regular season to be a little bit boring. But let's start before we get to the remainder of the field or the remaining uh, uh, field of, of, of eligible teams for the title. Uh, LeBron James and the Lakers are not one of them anymore. Um, I just want to get your thoughts on the Wizards and whether or not you think Scott Brooks is going to be back and what direction you think they'll take in the offseason. Um, so this isn't reporting or anything. This is just sort of, you know, thinking about it and, you know, talking to people, but just like getting a my, my sense. Like I, I'm there's not a lot of topics in the world that I'm I'm adept at discussing in depth. Like, I, you know, don't don't ask me about cars or fine dining or, or women or pretty much anything but i can talk about like what's what the mindset of that place is and based on my sense of just how things have gone there over the years and kind of the lay of the land now you have russell westbrook on the book for two more years the owner has repeatedly said we won't tank he is about making the playoffs more than he is winning the title in my opinion all that stuff if you make me predict i will predict scott brooks is back the only reason i wouldn't would be is if if, um, you know, there's other factors within the organization following a year of the pandemic where, you know, revenues were surely down and somebody says, hey, we can't just run it back. We need to, you know, do something to get people back in the building. But um, I, I think the Westbrook factor is pretty compelling. It, there's an easy narrative for them to fall back on. Well, look how we finished strong in the season. We won 17 of the last 23 regular season games. 
Um, you know, if Westbrook hadn't been hurt earlier in the year, we hadn't been dealing with maybe the worst COVID situation in the league, so on and so on. Why couldn't we have been a higher seed rather than just in the play-in tournament? So I think they can justify it. And I if you again, if you make me guess, my guess is that's what they would do. They'll line up a Brooks contract with Westbrook's last two years and go from there. But we'll see. I personally would think a change is in order. But like I said, if you make me guess, I would guess he's back. Yeah, I think, but you don't think they've arrived to, at that decision yet, do you? Because I think if they had arrived at that decision, Tommy Shepard would have said it yesterday rather than what he said, which is today's not the day to answer that question. Um, and we we know about Ted and the group at Monumental, the owners of the hockey team and the basketball team. They are very deliberate in everything they do. They're very analytical. They're they do deep dive after deep dive before they make decisions. You know, there's nothing impulsive about what they do. But I'm just curious. Yeah, I think if they knew he was gone, they would have said it yesterday. And I think um, if they, I'm sorry, I think if they knew he was going to stay, they would have said it yesterday. Excuse me. That's what I meant to say. Right. I mean, I guess you could look at it in a different way. If they knew he was gone, they would have said it yesterday. Because I don't think you, why have a press conference in which he also, Scott Brooks also spoke yesterday. If they definitively knew he was out, then there's no reason. Well, I guess we could talk. say it about both things. Because if they knew he was going to stay, Tommy Shepard wouldn't let it drag out. Like, well, I, I could think I could maybe make the argument the other way in the sense of you want to at least give an, an impression of deliberation, right? I mean, obviously, it's not like the season just ended and somebody said, oh, hey, wait, Scott Brooks' contract ended. We have to make a decision here. But I think there is an, a, 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 a view of, hey, maybe at least think about it. And, you know, look, I, I, keeping Scott Brooks will not be a popular decision among fans in general, right? It's been five years that they've had three losing seasons. They have made the playoffs three times, including the, the, his first year where they got 49 wins and things were on their tr upward trajectory, and it's gone the other way largely since. But I'm just saying, like, I think just for appearances, if you're really going to make this move, you know, I don't think you do it yesterday. I think you wait and give, you know, give it time to settle, maybe even actually settle, right? Think about it. But I'm saying even if you made a call, I don't think you're going to announce it yesterday. And by the way, we don't definitively know Tommy Shepard's deal. I believe he said right. he's under contract, but we don't know definitively if that's a locked-in contract or, or what. And so there's also that side of it um, as well. Yeah, I, I think you may have convinced me, and I think the reason is, and I think you s sort of said this, if they are going to keep him, um, if they have any self-awareness as to what their fan base wants, which is a change, the majority want to change, they have to give the appearance that they're considering moving on from him. I, th I think there's something that makes sense about that. Um, I, 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 would, I would also just suggest that more likely than not, they're not entirely sure because they are a very deliberative group in general that that would be my gut right now. Your gut is that he comes back. And I think if I had to wager right now, I think I'd actually wager on the opposite, that he's not back. Um, but uh, I don't. my guess is, is that they don't know for sure either way right now. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, I, I guess uh, I don't really understand how you could be unsure, 
right? It'd be one thing to say you're unsure who the next coach would be, right? I mean, you have to go through a search or whatever. I don't know how you haven't figured out what you have in Scott Brooks. It's been five years, for better or for worse. I'm not saying it's yeah, but if you if you believe in the pot, I mean, what's the what are you going to determine about everything over the next few days? I mean, I guess you know the when Ted when, when Ted Leonsis went through a um, search for the GM, he supposedly talked to 78 people about that, which was that, just that's my point. Couple. Right. Well, that was also, I think, total silliness. If you actually looked at the list of the people right. he was talking to, but the, if, but this, yeah, this is what they like. They wanted to give off the a, a, a look of this is a deliberative process, even if, as the GM situation went, it landed on a guy who had been in the building for fifteen years. Um, and for what it's worth, I think Tommy Shepard's done a pretty good job. I mean, you know, I, I think if you look at almost all the moves they made this year, the little ones, the big ones. Everything kind of worked out, or at least was a more positive than negative. And uh, you know, he's done some good things on the on the margins. You know, uh, trading for Davis Bertans last year and Daniel Gafford this year for basically you know not much. I mean, Gafford to give up Troy Brown, but you know what I mean. Like the, 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 he's done good work. Some of the free agent signings and look, even the Westbrook Wall trade. If you give that, you know, I think that's more of an ownership decision. But in terms of you know, if you're just going to label everything under the GM heading that that worked out positively you know in large as well so um to this point so um, i think tommy's done a good job and i would personally think it would make sense to bring him back but yeah there, it's it's conceivable that everything's in play and therefore there is more in the indecision right now than than i'm sort of uh picturing yeah i mean i just think it's the nature i'm not saying that individually these people don't have a really strong sense of what they want but it is always been an organizational consensus, deep dive, lots of evaluation, lots of, you know, considering everything and talking to lots of people until they arrive um, at sort of a consensus. Um, he is not an impulsive, you know, slam his fist down on a table. It's over. This is what we're doing, guy. Um, I'm talking about Ted, of course. I agree with you on Tommy. I think Tommy really knows basketball, and I. I have no problem with him continuing as the GM. Um, my preference would be that they overall try to go in a, new, in a new direction, even though I know more likely than not the new direction won't produce championship caliber teams um, uh, either. But I think this is uh, a rut they are in. Uh, I think their biggest upside is 48 wins and a five seed and maybe maybe to win a series um, but there's no championship caliber, no championship contention with the current construction of this roster and staff. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I think the problem with this team, even though the, the you know the, the strong close to the regular season was fun, and look in in the year we've all had, and considering how loud the other it was night to wasn't watch, fun. No, no, the, the playoffs, the play-in and the play in the playoffs were less less fun. Uh, some some good moments, but you know some some duds that we didn't see over those last twenty three games. When even when they lost, they were losing by like at the buzzer. Um, but um, you know, yeah, by and large, like what the ceiling here is a lot lower. You know, if you compare it to the Wall and Beal era, right? The thing was that both of those players were ascending, and even though the LeBron James impediment in the Eastern conference was obvious. And that's why nobody really thought the wizards were an NBA contender by any stretch or title contender. We didn't know where things were headed. Now in this case, Beal continues to get better every year and he's only 27. He'll be 28 later this month. 
But the Westbrook thing, you know, look, for better or for worse, we know what Westbrook is. The ceiling is is obvious. And they don't have enough else. The third best player on the team, at least based on money, Davis Bertans was more or less a no-show in the playoffs. And there's reasons to think that that could continue going forward. And, you know, Rui Hachimura showed some signs, um, you know, of, of progress during the year and in the playoffs. But what about, you know, the consistency is the next level and so on. So it's hard to look at this team and think that, uh, anything more than a five or six seed is 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 conceivable in a sport in which realistically most years four or five teams we know going in have a shot at winning it all. And if that's your if you're a fan who is it's you know rings or busts, it's all about being a contender. Then honestly, I'd I'd be disappointed. If you just can look at the Wizards as hey, this is really entertaining because Russell Westbrook is an absolute force of nature, or Bradley Beal is one of the better players in the league, and so on. Well, then you can probably get by for the next two years. But uh, if you're looking at this like, well, when when's when it's been 40 years, when are the Wizards back in contention? I'd say realistically, you're probably having to wait a couple more years at least. And that's assuming uh, unless Tommy Shepard pulls off, you know, uh, a, a pretty a pretty sneaky move that seems unlikely based on the limited options he has at his disposable at his disposal this offseason. Yeah, or if somehow they hit, you know. Um on a pick at number 15 that turns out sure. to be, you know, what we've had, you know, some middle of the first round guys do. Yeah. Um, I mean, if Hachimura has a leap where he's, I keep saying, you know, if he, he has like a Pascal Siakam leap, which nobody saw with, with that guy, then, then sure. I mean, things could get interesting, but look, even still Westbrook, uh, you know, <laughs> for better, for worse, he's not always the be- the guy you want as your, your sort of lead um, at the end of games and big games. And, um, you know, there's always that aspect of it. But at least even if we just give the, the allure of contending, um, you know, yeah, but something I don't expect it is, is it's, likely it's to have just, to happen. It's just that I, I every year when we get to playoff time, um, I've always felt as a long, lifelong, you know, basketball fan and NBA fan, and Wizards fan for that matter, that you really don't learn about teams until they start playing true meaningful games where the opponent's not on the second half of a back-to-back or they're not caring about you know really giving effort that night or playing defense. These are, these are the games that matter. This is where you judge players and you judge teams. And this team was a major disappointment in this series. I never expected them to win the series. I, th- I predicted five games, but God damn it, I thought they were going to win the other night. That team was not the number one one seeded team that they played on on Wednesday night. That was a, a team without its best player in Joel Embiid, and I thought the Wizards were at least equal to what the 76ers were going to put out there. And not only were they not equal, it wasn't even close. And their two best players were disappointing. Beal did a nice job early and then fell apart because offensively, when the game slowed down, he was a turnover machine. They didn't even know how to handle a half-court, you know, uh, a, 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 a double-teaming of a player. They didn't even know what they were doing. Youth coaches kn- would have been able to explain to that team how to beat that double-team much easier. Watch Portland last night as they came at Lillard early with a double-team and see how Portland handled it. I just look at this and I go, it needs a new start. I mean, I'm not in for, you know, wow, uh, that's seven straight triple doubles and they've won four of those games and they're inching up in the standings. They're they're seventh now. They might be able to get to sixth because I know what's going to happen in the postseason. They're not going to win. 
They're not going to beat anybody good. So, you know, it's, I think I said this to Tommy yesterday, it's the Brad Pitt line in Moneyball to Jonah Hill. It's like, look, if if championship is the goal, what are we talking about here? But to your point, it may not be the goal. There may be a realization that this is a business and we need to be in the playoffs every year. We need those extra home dates for for the revenue that turns us into a profitable organization. And if we you know, take the big swing at trading Beal and getting a haul of picks and over the next three to four years try to revamp and reshape our roster in the hopes of, of winning and contending down the road, we're going to be out of the playoffs, out of the conversation, out of everybody's you know, um, the interest level, um, and uh, and that will be painful. And, and by the way, there's no guarantee at the end of the road that you're a contender. In fact, it's actually less than 50-50. But this group ain't going anywhere. This group, these players, Bradley Beal, Westbrook, Hachimura, Gafford, Brooks and his staff, they're not going to win more than one playoff series, and that's a reach at this point. I felt much better about the Randy Whitman group, um, but then again, I was not fully aware of what John Wall and Beal would be together, and I, you know, I, I thought it would just keep growing and growing until it was, you know, something um, equivalent to I don't know. At least at the time, I thought Lillard and, and McCollum, um, at the very least. But it, but it, but it's not even that, and they haven't had the playoff success. Yeah, I mean, I would just say, like, you know, to the point of like. I'm sure, you know, on the record, nobody over there would say they're not trying to win the title. So, of course, they would say that. But you just mentioned Moneyball. Fantastic movie. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, I, I, I did more of the watch the movie than read the book. But, okay. Uh, great movie. And, like, so let's just use that as an example. When the owner tells Brett, the Brad Pitt character, uh, you know, um, hey. Um, <laughs> nice job, yeah. but your budget's not changing. Right. It's not that the owner is saying we don't want to win a title. He's just saying I'm 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 giving you all of these constraints and you have to work around it. Right. And that's that's what we're we're, we're talking about here. Whether that's you know they were the 28th team to have a G League team, then this year they didn't even have one because of the pandemic, which I'm not arguing is good or bad. I'm just saying other teams did. They didn't. Um, you know the the the, the facilities relative to other teams in the league like I, I joked to somebody yesterday that it's more likely now that we have this all this talk on like 60 minutes about ufos and and uh you know i think it's more likely we have first contact with an alien life form than we do the wizards go into the luxury tax right like i, I and i'm not even joking about that which isn't to say that they should it with this group it's just to say they aren't doing the all the full-throated things that other places are for better or for worse and when you when you have that you have to Look at your look at your ceiling. Now again, you could conceivably. I mean, uh, I, I guarantee. I look at some of the teams left in the playoffs. I'm sure some of them are also in that general boat. But you know, a guy like Tim Conley in Denver, who you know has done a great job, even without Jamal Murray. Yeah, um, hurt. They they still have a deep team. Obviously, you know, Nikola Jokic could be the the the, the MVP. He's he going to be the round. MVP. Right. I mean, I presume he will. He was a second round pick. Right. Um, you know, th- they've had you know, M- Monty Morris is a guy who, who who they found later on and and so on and so on. So, you know, I look again, I, Tommy Shepard's only been on the job for a relatively short amount of time, even if he was connected to the previous, you know, with, with Ernie Grunfeld. So we'll see. I, I have faith that Tommy Shepard can do some right things. But, yeah, it's just hard to do it. And then, like I said, the Westbrook thing, like here what I would just say to sort of recap this season. 
they became it was a absolute symbiotic relationship between Russell Westbrook's mood and the rest of the team not named Bradley Beal when he was all in aggressive firing on all cylinders all that that's how they played and when he was distracted like he seemed to be in game five that's how they played and I don't know how you work around that and you mentioned before about like things like getting out of double teams and the coaching like this is part of my issue with Scott Brooks he's not a player's coach as Bradley Beal said the other day he's a star coach from Oklahoma City to here, he doesn't seem to be willing to put guardrails on his stars, even though even the best players need them at times. I'm not saying that you have to tell your, the, the best players in the league you know, what to do, but you need to keep them in check. All of us need coaching, right? I, I mean, coaches are there for a reason. <laughs> it isn't just to pat somebody on the head and say, okay, you're starting, go ahead. Like, Talk to them as a people. What's going on? I think Bradley Beal could use some of that at times. He's obviously an, an incredible scorer. But, yeah, there are times where it's like he's been told so often he kind of has to do all of it that he kind of forgets that he can pass the ball instead of uh, fighting through a double team. But I don't think the coaches tell them these things, and I definitely don't think anybody's telling Westbrook these things. But I also don't think anybody – Westbrook would probably listen to too many people. He's going to do what Westbrook does, and that's also part of this equation. Scott Brooks at least kind of knows what he's dealing with. You could bring in some interesting assistant coach – I don't know. Will he? Will that person, male or female, will that person um, know how to deal with with Westbrook for better or for worse? And if not, then what? You know, there's there there are some confusing aspects of this. And this is the thing with the Wizards. It's never just simple. So simple. You can't just start over. I w- I kind of wish they would be able to just start over, but they can't. So they're in this middle ground where it feels like they often have been for the last four well, years. Well, the, the one opportunity to start over is they've never had an asset that could bring back enough that would give you a chance at a start over like they have with Bradley Beal. That's the only difference here, right? They actually have an asset that could give them a chance at a rebuild start with just, you know, I, I don't know if it's a hardened haul, but whatever it would end up being um, would be something that they've never had before because there would be significant interest. Now, the other, I, by the way, I think it was, um, I think it was a very, very, interesting way that you put that I don't think I've heard anybody else put it this way and it's one of the reasons I love Ben that Scott Brooks isn't a player's coach he's a star is he he's a star coach and but it's but it's more than that the, the you really don't see any of this stuff clearly until they're playing postseason games I love Russell Westbrook and have throughout his career Oh, before he even got here, I had finally come to the conclusion you cannot win with him this time of year. Um, it it's more apparent now than ever after watching this past series. I actually really think Bradley Be- Beal is an elite level scorer, but I don't think he's an elite player. I think he is going to make the third team this year, the NBA All th- You know, and he deserves it based on the year he had. But if he's your number one, you're not winning in the postseason. You're not a championship-caliber team. You know, there are – what we saw the other night was as frustrating as frustrating gets because they were absolutely embarrassing on defense. And a lot of the the embarrassment on defense at times has been – 
influenced by their two supposed star players who are often disinterested, who are often distracted. Um, my God, it, I, bear, I guarantee you we could count a half dozen times from this past series where Bradley Beal didn't even make it back into the television frame on defense because he was bitching and whining and complaining so much about something that eight out of ten times I think he was wrong about. Um, and, you know, there it is. You know, your star players. He's a star players coach. He's not going to push. He's not going to confront. Um, anyway, whatever. And, by the way, the whole league complains, and I understand that. Uh, I watch every night. Okay, Luca's insufferable. LeBron's insufferable. We don't have to get any of him anymore. I just don't know. You know, I guess if they don't make big changes, you're hoping that, you know, that they end up, you know, Franz Wagner ends up being a superstar or Chris Duarte, who I love out of Oregon, and I think he is going to be a really good pro, um, ends up being like a true superstar that somehow you get that mid first or even second rounder that ends up becoming a top five player in the league, like a legitimate MVP player, which they do not have on their team. They do not have a player on their team that is an MVP caliber player. It's yeah, it, and, and just to be clear, like I think people always mis- mis- misunderstand this. You can have the first pick in the draft, and that guy could be a bum. Of course. You could have the last pick in the draft, and that could be a star. All we're talking about is the opportunity. This is similar to the Washington football team, and I wrote about this the other day, the idea of you know between the Wizards and the football team, they had very similar seasons, started off slow. We talked about the draft, and then all of a sudden they got hot, made the playoffs, and both fall out of the lottery picks, as it were. And for the football team, that meant not the opportunity – to draft one of those five quarterbacks. I have no idea if any of those five quarterbacks will be good. They all might be bust. That's not the point. The point is they lost the opportunity, just like the Wizards fell out of the lottery, lost the opportunity now to get a top five pick in a year in which this draft is considered to have five guys at the top who all could be arguably number one pick type talent right that according to the people who study these things and that's what we're that's what we're talking about you could yeah Kawhi Leonard right was the 15th pick random things happen that's not Devin Booker Donovan Mitchell were all middle of I I forget exactly what numbers they were but they were in the middle of the first round right you made the point as well well. I mean and Jokic was a second round pick he's going to be the MVP and Jokic is a true is a player that can lead that makes you a championship caliber contender even without their second best player they're into the second round without Jamal Murray um anyway uh real quickly before we move on to the Washington football team uh give me right now your NBA finals matchup and your winner wow I mean it is a in in a world where there's no LeBron James uh, you know, that was just easy to always just pick whatever team he was on. The West is crazy. And then the East, man, I mean, I don't, you know, it's hard to know. I would have probably said Philly, but now without Joel Embiid with, with that, with uncertainty there and that next, the Bucks net series is nuts. Give me, I'll, this may be a little bit of a, of a, of a surprise. I guess. I don't know. I, I kind of think the Bucks are going to beat the nets. I Got just it. think defensively that they'll be able to get stops here and there and the Nets won't. I don't know. Maybe I'll be I, – I worry about Giannis in the last two minutes of any game um, offensively, so maybe I, maybe that'll be crazy and the Nets win every game by 20. But um, I'll, I'll go the Bucks And in the West, oh, man, uh, I, I guess I'll go the Jazz just because they seem to be the healthiest and, and fairly deep. Um, I, I really want to pick Phoenix, but uh, Chris Paul not being 100%. So give me Utah, Milwaukee, which would be – Adam's oh, worst nightmare. Disaster for the league. 
<laughs> yeah. And the winner? Um. Well, I don't know. If I'm going to go this far, and you know, I'll, I'll go with the Bucks. Okay. I, I'm definitely concerned with Giannis at the end of games. He's not an ISO player. They've got a, the, Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are going to have to be the guys who score. But defensively, I think they they can do some things where the Nets can't. If you like, I said if Embiid was healthy, I probably would pick Philly. But he's not. I don't know what to make of him right now. So it's funny. We I had this conversation with Scott last night, and he's like, I, I go, I think Brooklyn's going to win the title, and I hate the way they play, and I would never in the past have picked a team that plays the way they play this time of year. But they have three of these guys, and it's just impossible. No team can actually, no matter how much iso ball they play, you, nobody has three great defenders. Um, yeah. and, and he said, he agrees with you, he thinks the Bucks can win, but my answer to that was, I think they can guard him to a certain extent too. I just don't trust Giannis. I don't trust Giannis. Um, and he hasn't given me any reason in the postseason to trust him. So I like Brooklyn coming out of the East. I do think Atlanta's really an intriguing team. They really can um, score. And Trey Young, where was he picked? Sixth or seventh? In the first round, he was the fifth pick when they was swapped a, with. Oh, for, right, right, know, right for, for Jokic. Yeah, exactly. Um, so uh, I, I think I think Brooklyn's going to be very hard to beat four out of seven, and I am rooting against them. Uh, and then in the West, I, I if the Clippers had won Game Five, I think I this is who I want to come out of the West. And I think they're going to force a game seven. And then I think they're going to somehow lose game seven at home to Dallas in a series where the home team is yet to win a game. Um, the Clippers with the Lakers out, I got, I really want to see them make a run. I think Utah's the best team though. I think they're the best overall team. I think they play the right way. And yet what's interesting about Utah is you know, not in the same way that Miami made it last year with one great player. Utah has more than one great player. I mean, Donovan Mitchell's really good. Rudy Gobert's obviously a massive defensive presence, and Conley is it has had some incredible games so far. Um, and by the way, uh, Bogdanovich, who um, we all remember from the first rounder uh, in the you know at the trade deadline in 2017 here. I mean he he he's lighting it up for Utah. I like Utah, and I think it's Brooklyn, and I think Brooklyn wins the NBA title. I hate to say it. Um, my pr- I can tell you what the NBA is rooting for. They're rooting for Brooklyn and the Clippers. They they'd love to see the Clippers get back into contention here and get back into. Um, the mix to have LA in New York. Um, one last thing on this because I, I had um, I had somebody tell me who is close to sort of the NBA circles about two months ago. They said it, it, Adam Silver and the people behind the scenes are just saying to each other, "LeBron is killing us, just killing us." You know, with his activism, with his Twitter, with his social media presence, the whole thing. And, you know, and if you noticed, it was funny, really recently LeBron's been very quiet. I have a feeling somebody got him a message and said, you got to stop. You're, you're hurting us. With that said, the flip side of that is the NBA playoffs from a television rating standpoint moving the rest of the way are dead without LeBron in it. Dead. Like, I remember hearing that from this specific person who I won't name, and I said, that's all well and good, and I get it to a certain degree, but if he's not in the NBA Finals, or at least, you know, deep into the playoffs, 
the NBA is going to die on the vine television ratings-wise, which it will without him in it and without the Lakers in it. By the way, how soft is Anthony Davis? Seriously. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I wasn't tracking his specific issue too bad. And he didn't look good at all when he came out of the court, so at least I give him somewhat credit for trying. Charles Barkley, you know, and I'm not saying you always go to, you, you, you go to Barkley for the entertainment, not necessarily the analysis, but he was really kind of going in on Davis saying whatever he's doing from a training perspective is not working. He needs to do something different. At his age, he should not be as constantly hurt. You get, you get past into your 30s, okay, things start to you know, fall off. But, you know, he gets hurt way too often. And for the Lakers, obviously, you know, as good as LeBron still is, it's, it's clear he's not what he, what, what, he, what he was. It's weird just to see LeBron be mortal at times physically as, as he got tired last night a little bit in the fourth quarter, came out, and that's when um, Phoenix kind of pulled away again. Um, but, uh, but yeah, Dave Davis is, is whatever. Um, I, I uh, Look, as much as I sort of get super frustrated with the, the constant fawning over LeBron and how people just are so blind – to to the, to the nonsense that comes out of him, his camp, and so on. It's you know, it's he he is an unbelievable player, and like you said to to your point of the finals, it's like it's like you're it's like a television show that you're used to every year. Yeah, I know from April to June, this show will be on my television, and I'm going to tune in. It's been that way for a decade. <laughs> LeBron yeah. James will be in, in on TV during these months. At all times, yeah. and now if and whether not you there, hate him or like him, they were watching him for the most part. Last year, the the ratings were dismal in the in the bubble, and and the NBA hasn't done well. But it's 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 not the Tiger effect in golf by any stretch of the imagination, but it's probably the next closest thing to the Tiger effect because obviously the NFL is not reliant on its star players playing in its biggest games necessarily. All right. I, I, I do wonder in that sense if if the best player for the NBA to come out of the West is Luka Doncic because he is Yeah, the but guy. most sports fans don't even know who Luka is. Like we do and basketball sure. fans do, but people all know LeBron, and even if you don't love basketball, you know, he's, he's the reason to tune in. People don't understand. And by the way, Luka was phenomenal the other night, as was Devin Booker last night, as was, by the way, um, Michael Porter Jr., who had 22 points in six and a half minutes of the first quarter. It was crazy. All right, uh, let's get to Washington football team stuff right after. Ben wrote this morning, actually, about the offense, um, or yesterday he wrote about the offense. We'll talk about that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis. Analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Ben's uh, continuing with us on the podcast. Uh, Coming up will be a Belmont Stakes preview with Eddie C., who picked the top two horses of the Preakness when he was on with us that Friday before the Preakness. Um, All right, you wrote, The excitement over Washington's offense is sincere and for good reason. Did you write this column now because of stuff you learned from the OTAs? No. And, and like, I guess like I wasn't even thinking to myself, I was sort of columnizing it. I guess my editor kind of went that path in terms of the headline, but it was just more like, look, you know, as I sort of wrote, like, you know, spring training OTAs, this is the time of year for, for straight up optimism. Even if you're the worst team in the league, right? The jets or the Jaguars, we've got this new shiny toy of this quarterback. Here's reasons why to be optimistic. Right. So that's just like a baseline for every team, but I just feel like with Washington, I mean, look, I mean, again, we've all discussed this before, but just like really kind of look at it again. Their offense last year was abysmal. Four quarterbacks, the first quarterback, you know, just didn't even know how to play the position in a professional, in, as a professional starting quarterback. The guy who did the best for them, just him walking onto the field was the success. Forget Forget doing anything else. And Alex Smith was obviously limited in, in various ways. And then, you know, they only had one receiver that scared anybody and so on and so on. The defense, you know, I think was perhaps a, t- a touch overrated based on some of the stats, but obviously pretty good. And now is a chance to get a lot better. But the offense in particular, man, if they just become ordinary, think about how much better it would be than what it was a year ago. And you now added Fitzpatrick. You added Curtis Samuel. We'll see about these other pieces, the Adam Humphreys and the Deami Browns, what they do this year. But, you know, there are a lot more options than there were a year ago. And that's why I think, you know, when you're just listening to – just listening to how, you know, how they're all sort of talking about it, and uh, you know, the coaches, the players. Um, and just like when you see them all out in the field, I mean, there's just more, <laughs> you know. I mean, also like at this point last year – Obviously, there were there were no OTAs. I wasn't thinking Logan Thomas was going to be anything. I was like, what are they going to get a real tight end in here, right? A starting tight end. He obviously turned out to be a thing. Antonio Gibson, he had 11 touchdowns last year and over 1,000 yards from scrimmage. He didn't even know which running lanes to attack right. at the beginning of the year. He only, you know, he barely played running back in college, and they switched him to that in the NFL level. Now he has that experience. Not to mention just, I mean, every team in the league obviously went through the entire um, COVID situation with, with limited workouts, but this was a team that was a new coaching staff having to do it. And so I just think for all these reasons, and, you know, it, there's reason to be optimistic 
Um, I'm not saying they're going to the Super Bowl, but I'm just saying for for the basic point of on paper, here's what they have. Even at a time of the year where optimism is the norm, there's actual reason to be optimistic because of the fact that the, the moves they made have seemingly all been you know pretty good on paper. You know, as you're talking, um, I was going to follow up with what I did on radio this morning, which was basically two segments of calls on, you know, how much or more excited you are, you know, are you more or less excited uh, after this, you know, off seasons pretty much come to, to a completion? Now, there's always the Aaron Rodgers thing, um, but I'm kidding because uh, it won't be here, I'm sure. But um, there's so th- the net of it is for me on that is that I'm excited. Like, I think that they have, there's a lot to look forward to, um, the, the roster wise. I also am a guy that never plays the schedule game, but I can see the quarterbacks that are lined up waiting for him. And this was a defense last year that was massively improved and it was a good defense. It was not an elite defense. They won seven games essentially against five backup quarterbacks. Um, and the two starters they beat weren't very good last year in Wentz and Roethlisberger. Um, but there's something else that has me um, optimistic. And I, I listened to Scott Turner yesterday um, in his press conference because we had Rivera and Del Rio on whatever day that was, Tuesday of this week. And then we had Scott Turner and I think Kyle Allen spoke yesterday. I actually didn't yes. listen to that. But, you know, at the end of last year, I came to the conclusion that they got it right with Scott Turner that he's going to be a good offensive coordinator. I'm already bought into Rivera and Del Rio and the defensive staff and the head coach. I was probably as, if not more optimistic than most of you listening when they hired Rivera. I thought they did much better than I thought they would do, and I was always a Rivera fan. I'm not saying he's an elite head coach. It's not Belichick. It's not Peyton. Um, but he is, you know, to me, in, in in that range in which they haven't had somebody like him since, since Mike and his staff. And, like, there's a professional competence to the football operation and to the coaching staff that I believe in. But Scott Turner was was really this time last year. We weren't sure. We weren't sure about the quarterback. We weren't sure about the coordinator. As you mentioned, we didn't know anything about Logan Thomas. We didn't know anything about these running backs. I mean, people were all focused on the wrong guys. I mean, our fan base was all into Thaddeus Moss and AGG. And and it turned out that it was Logan Thomas and Antonio Gibson. I think, uh, I think people were excited about Gibson. But anyway, you know, Scott Turner said something in his um, presser yesterday. He was asked a lot about Ryan Fitzpatrick. And he said, you know, you got to play to everybody's strengths. Everybody has strengths and weaknesses, and you have to play to a certain guy's strengths. We're going to approach Ryan Fitzpatrick differently than we would when we had Cam Newton in Carolina. That's an extreme example, but there are levels to that. And that's just how we look at it. Ryan is a very self-aware guy. He'll tell me, I've run this concept. I don't have a real good feel for that one. And then we'll have a conversation and we'll look at it. And he said, there are lots of plays that can be run in football. We can be selective and work to do what's best for our guys. One of the things for me on Scott Turner last year as a takeaway was I really liked his game plans for each of their opponents. Like I noticed, and it was pretty early on, okay, against Baltimore, you can't drop back and throw the football with Dwayne. 
All right, the ball's got to come out, and we're going to go horizontal. But against Dallas, they can't stop the run. We're going to line it up and run it down their their throat. I thought he had week in and week out different game plans that that not only addressed his team's strengths and weaknesses, but really attacked the opponent. I never necessarily felt that way about Jay, who I always thought was a good pass design guy, and everybody told us that. But it was going to be Jay's system. You know, Jay was going to, you know, put his system and the guys were going to have to figure it out. I just think they have a really good coaching staff right now. I think they've got a a, a staff, you know, defensively that's hard-nosed, disciplined. They've got a disciplined, hard-nosed head coach that doesn't want to put up with mentally getting beat, which is what's happened around here for many, many years. And with Turner, Turner is a lot like his dad. Now, we all have different – we all have one memory of him here, and that is really good offensive uh, coordinator, not a good head coach. And Norv always had it schemed up for that first drive better than anybody. But um, but really, he, what I'm hearing from him and what I saw last year was Joe Gibbs. I'm not talking about Joe Gibbs, the head coach. But the way he thinks is I have to adapt to what I have. You know, I don't have a system that I'm going to force on everybody. I'm going to adapt to the people that we have. And by the way, he was on the spot early last year with a quarterback that he didn't want. And, you know, maybe we would have seen different results had Kyle Allen started earlier um, or Alex Smith had gotten an opportunity earlier. Who knows? The offense wasn't good last year. And yet, I have a lot of confidence in Scott Turner. It's a gut thing, um, but it's also based on you know the games last year and what he was working with and how he was able to accomplish at times moving the football with the group that he had and some of the things that he said and have and has said in this offseason. I think offensively they're going to be better because they've got a quarterback that's better than anybody they've had since Kirk Cousins. So just by that, they should be better offensively. But I also have a really good feel for the for uh, a good feeling, excuse me, that the staff is a really good staff, and that they're going to get more out of less, and they're going to put uh, people in positions that make sense. You know, we're not going to see Ryan Kerrigan in coverage or Montez Sweat in coverage on defense. And we're not going to see, you know, offensively, if we've got a guy that can throw the ball down the field, a lot of horizontal football. The horizontal football last year was because he, because of who he had at quarterback. Anyway. Yeah. No, I, 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 I agree. I mean, any criticism of Scott Turner earlier last year, I just kept thinking was, how do we know the, the quarterback he's using is on training wheels? Yep. And, uh, you know, then, you know, Kyle Allen, obviously a little more, experience and professional but like you know he's not he's not a definitive nfl starting quarterback and then the next guy uh you know obviously alex smith was incredibly limited and then the next guy who played the best who had the best start of any of them was on a couch a month before but when scott turner was take anybody other than haskins 
you could see him opening up the playbook. There was creativity. There was aggressiveness. And to your point about not forcing a playbook down somebody's throat, this to me is always what I care about in any coach. I don't care what it is. This is why maybe it's being reared on Joe Gibbs and knowing he came here with it Eric Coriel. It is being reared on Joe Gibbs, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, he came here on Eric Coriel and then after an 0-5 start said, okay, let me rethink this. I've got this running back and this offensive line. We're going in a different direction. And then later in his career, he switched it up again. Throwing bombs with Rip. <laughs> right, right. And and yeah. that to me is what a coach is. It isn't I do a thing. That's why Spurrier, I ne- I was like, oh, this is never gonna work. Not to go back. Cause he had a the, he had his thing and that's what he was doing and everything else didn't matter. Um, yeah, in general, whatever it is, you have look, this is a life thing. You have to look at your personnel around you and determine here's the goal. Now, how do we get there based on the pieces that we have? All right. Um, a couple of quick questions about OTAs and then um we'll wrap it up on on this topic. Um did you get a sense uh, from anybody that they're really excited about a player or two or three? Like there's an early buzz about any of the new guys or maybe one of the guys that wasn't significant last year. Um, hmm, let me think here. Uh, my brain is uh, when I have to think about stuff, it doesn't always work. I mean, um, I've heard they're really excited about Deami Brown and Cosme. Yeah, I mean, I think the Cosme thing. Look, obviously, you know, the the, the as you've discussed at length, you know, the, moving on from Morgan Moses wasn't just about everybody wants to you know focus on the Moses part, but the Cosme part of that is a huge deal for that. That's why, you know, if they, if they didn't, they not only did they draft him, but they feel comfortable enough um, to, that, that he'll be able to contribute in some capacity this year. Plus, they do have Cornelius Lucas. There was a play in OTA I was noticing where, you know, there's no tackling, there's no hitting. So, you know, if I tell you somebody had a long run, don't go crazy. But like Jonathan Williams, one of the deep backups, he's, you know, got the ball is 20, 30 yards down the field. And I noticed there was an offensive lineman booking like ahead of him clearing out space. And then I looked and saw that it was Sam Cosby. Right. And, you know, Brandon Scherf, when he talked to us the other day, had a, you know, a fun reaction to, to sort of getting a load of Cosme, what he brings from a size and speed perspective. And he said, yeah, this guy's strong, but we also saw his speed today. And, you know, I, they they don't have to just throw Cosme in there and say, you're the starter. Um, You know, with Jamin Davis, it's kind of hard to not put him in this, with the starters because there's really no other option. But at tackle, they have some some other players and they'll let Cosme kind of earn his way in. But I think from an athlete, you know, a, a physical athletic standpoint, I think they like what they see already. You know, you you just mentioned, and I, I, I actually forgot he was on the roster. This is the Jonathan Williams that played for the Colts, right? I think that's right. But he was on the with, with the lines. He, he was on the practice squad here a little bit last year. Yeah, but he had he had a he had some good games for the Colts, I believe. If it's that Jonathan Williams, I forgot, and well, maybe or, or I just didn't realize he was on the roster. It could be a different one, but you said he was a running back. Um, yeah, I, th- I think I think it's I think it's the same guy. I mean, for what it's worth, I think the third running back spot. Like, I think we're all probably just penciling in Peyton Barber because that's what it was a year ago, and he was effective in short yardage, but. I don't know. I keep thinking if Antonio Gibson missed time, who would be the if you who would be your real starting running back? I don't know if there's an answer to that, which is why I kind of think the third guy is sort of open. Uh, maybe or at least maybe a, a touch more open than we're maybe assuming. Maybe uh, I'm wrong. Is that is anybody excited about Bates, the tight end from Boise? Well, I mean, I think they obviously like his aggressiveness, the blocking, but those aren't things that are you know. Those aren't fantasy football type things that like like when you're just sort of watching it, you get too excited about. It. And to be honest, I think when most of us are watching the backup tight ends, everybody's seeing what Samus Ray is doing, even though 
um, you know, can't be expecting much. He was working with the ones they had both Reyes and Bates, you know, like a two tight end set with the ones um, th- this week that, that we saw. So, you know, uh, I, he he still looks you know miles away, which is reasonable, uh, of course. But yeah, I think Bates is interesting. But to what extent? Like it wouldn't stun me that if the second tight end in, in actuality is like Tamara Hemingway, a guy that they knew from the Carolina days, brought in last year. You know, he has more experience as a blocker. It wouldn't stun me if he's the number two. But ultimately, clearly Bates is the guy who would you know they the envision in that spot. Uh, you learned something, or I guess the guys that were out there for OTAs uh, learned something about what they're thinking in terms of punt and kickoff returns. Tell us what that is. Who who are the who are the potential punt returners and kickoff returners on this roster? So Rivera gets asked about this the other day, and he you know it's always interesting to see what names come to mind, you know. And he ticks off DeAndre Carter, who some people listening to this may not realize that that's a human being on the roster. Who is he that? Uh, you know, he's like a water buggy wide receiver type guy mm-hmm. who they added in free agency, you know, cheap contract, but he has some experience in that, in that realm. Um, he mentioned uh, Dax Milne, he, the seventh round pick seventh from BYU. Pick, yeah. okay. He mentioned Steven Sims who handled punt return oh, duties. Boy. He should mention year. him. <laughs> right. And then he later brought up Danny Johnson, who was better on kickoffs, but did some punts as well. And what, what I found interesting about all those names is that if you made me predict right now... The Who's going to make the, the team? Right. I don't think any of them make the team. I think Danny Johnson could, but he didn't even play corner last year, so it would just be as a returner. So I'm like, wait a minute. All Everybody you just named, I don't think is on the team. So Maybe I, he's talking about preseason punt and kickoff returns. Um, yeah, it, it says to me that... Isaiah Wright's still on the roster, and he was involved in some of that stuff, right? Yeah, he didn't mention him, and I just don't... Yeah, but yeah, so, so, sort of the same sort of the same boat it is sort of interesting like well wait a minute who's the actual person that's going to handle this who's going to be on the team now obviously Rivera is you know I, I presume has more of an open mind about this than, than we're all kind of looking at it and saying well Steven Sims probably not looking good for him but even even if he does make the team he wasn't exactly good on the punt return did he mention Humphreys um he did not and I think when we when we spoke to Humphreys Back when he signed, he said that he was that the return being a returner wasn't mentioned to him when they had the immediate um, conversations because he so, has done it yes. in both Tampa and Tennessee. Yeah, so. yeah, for 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 sure. So yeah, I, I think that's a really interesting one. And like you know, typically when we talk about who's going to make the roster, we look at the end. We think of it like, well, will they keep a fourth running back, or will they keep a tenth offensive lineman, or a fifth safety? But really, what we're saying is, which special teams players are going to make the team, and they just happen to play these other positions. And the return one is, yeah. If I, if right now I project a fifty-three man roster, I'm not really looking at it like one of these people is the returner. Because I'm just figuring that somebody is going <laughs> to figure something out, whether that means, I don't know, you mentioned Humphreys, somehow, I don't know, Curtis Samuel or Deami Brown or one of the sec- guys in the secondary. But it, it's an odd group scenario right now where the obvious, if you had to say who would be the returner, as the coaches did, it's not somebody that any of us are projecting is actually going to be on the team. All right, lastly, um, Chase Young was a no-show for all six OTA days. He'll be there at minicamp next week. Um, nobody uh, was openly critical of it, nor, nor nor did I think they would be, and I don't even think they can be. Um, what do you sense, though, um, that you know Jack Del Rio and Ron Rivera and that group think about Chase Young just completely blowing off the six OTA days? 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think they, they they can't be thrilled about it. I'm sure Del Rio can't comprehend it, really, right? I mean, especially in his perspective, where he's not the head coach. Rivera has talked about, you know, over and over again, even beyond Chase Young, that it is voluntary, which is true. I mean, you know, it, it's always been such a weird thing. Why are these things voluntary in nature? But we all know if you don't show up for an OTA historically, you know, that's not a good sign. Uh, you know, people, people that's frowned upon in any of these establishments, right? Um, so... The fact that the NFLPA has told their players this year, hey, it is voluntary. Don't don't be afraid to exercise that, especially in this time of, 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 of COVID and things along those lines. We know Chase Young's working out, and ultimately that's what matters to a degree. Are you putting in the work? Are you showing up? At camp with a you know with with, with with a gut like me, or are you showing up in camp with a you know a twelve pack like he typically would have? And it looks like it'll be on that front. I think what's interesting to me, I did this bit on the podcast the other day. Uh, Rivera always says something is important, not interesting, you know, don't make something as interesting, important. So I did this bit with few topics is something interesting or important. And the idea was, okay, so for Chase Young, him not showing up interesting or important. And I said that in the short term, it's just interesting. It's not the biggest deal. We probably won't even talk about this, assuming, you know, he's, there's no real issue here going forward. But it's important, I think, because Chase Young is a clear leader on this team. And right now, I don't know why he didn't show up. And if whatever the reason he he didn't show up is something he's going to continue to do going forward, now I think maybe next time there's other players that don't show. I mean, John, I mean Montez Sweat didn't show the first week, came back last week. John Allen was there the first week, didn't come this week. But what if next year more players decide not to go because they're seeing that Chase Young, a leader on this team, doesn't go? Um not showing up for OTAs does not limit your opportunity to win the Super Bowl. There's, a, I think the Ravens typically have right. a bunch of their normal vets not show up for these things. So it's not the end of the world, but it is an interesting potential dynamic. Because That's what I'm curious about. Why? I don't so much care that he didn't. I'm wondering why Chase Young didn't and what this means going forward for him and perhaps um, for others on the team who might be influenced by him. All right, uh, Ben Standig, everybody, one of my favorites. Uh, I appreciate it, always do. Ben uh, writes for The Athletic. Subscribe to it. You can follow him on Twitter, at Ben Standig. And he's got a podcast, Standig Room Only, anywhere you got a podcast. Also, um, Ben joins me on my radio show on the Team 980 every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Uh, talk to you soon. Appreciate it, as always. Uh, always appreciate it. See ya. Up next, the Belmont Stakes. Eddie C. joins us from Florida. He had the Preakness winner nailed on the Friday before it. We'll see if he can get the Belmont pick right as well. That's next, right after these words from two of our sponsors. So a few weeks back on the Friday before the Preakness, I had the pleasure of having Eddie C., on the podcast. Eddie C. is a local guy, good counsel guy, grew up in the uh, Maryland suburbs, uh, but lives down and now in South Florida and, is, and has become what I like to call in the sports betting trade a sharp. Um, he has uh, really figured out uh, horse racing and horse race betting. And in the Preakness, he basically not only gave us the winner, but he gave us two of the top three finishers. Uh, you gave us Ron Bauer, you gave us Midnight Bourbon, and you said this is where you need to look if you're looking for wise guy action, which you sort of are. You had that one nailed. You know, that particular 
uh, night of the Preakness, I was with a lot of your friends from up here, and they had all listened and bet your suggestions. I, however, did not, not because I didn't trust you, but because I just haven't bet on a horse race in a long, long time. Apparently, I got thrown into a pool anyway with a loser um, from the Preakness uh, and, and immediately was asked for money when I arrived at our good friend Carlos's house. Um, but anyway, you nailed it. You nailed it on the Preakness, and we're going to get your Belmont selections here shortly, but you had to pre- feel pretty good about uh, about the Preakness results. Hey, Tevin, uh, appreciate <laughs> the kind words. Way, way too overwhelming, to be honest with you. Um, but, yeah, the Preakness worked out well for me. I mean, um, one of the things I thought about the race that we didn't really discuss was I didn't think – half the field was all that good to begin with. And again, in, in you and I talking, looking for value, I just thought that Ron Bauer, who I always thought was when he was a two-year-old horse last year, had a lot of potential that he was an improving horse and maybe he's just starting to figure it out. You know, just like a lot of horses take a little bit longer to figure things out. So yeah, I felt pretty good about it. I mean, uh, the exact paid well, the win paid well. So, uh, Turned out to be a pretty good day for me. Yeah. Um, it is funny as I looked up as the horses were coming down the stretch, and I'm like, Rombauer, good God. Eddie C nailed it. Nailed it. And then then Midnight Bourbon finishes second. And remember when we talked on that Friday before the Preakness, we weren't even sure in the moment whether or not the Kentucky Derby winner, Medina Spirit, was even going to run. And now there's more controversy associated with this horse and the second Kentucky Derby post-race drug test that was done. Catch everybody up to speed on Bob Baffert's Medina Spirit Kentucky Derby winner and whether or not that's going to be taken away. Yeah, so, um, you know, typically, and this happens in, you know, in human sports as well, when... um, when, when, when a horse is drug tested, they take two samples. And in some cases, you know, not just blood samples, in other cases, they also take urine samples and they'll do DNA testing as well. But with Medina Spirit, the first blood test came back as a positive. And just recently, earlier this week, the second split sample came back positive as well. Right. So... Immediately after that, Churchill Downs put a two-year ban on Bob Baffert horses running there. Wow. Um, Before I get into that, what that really means is um, there's no – they're not going to take down Medina – they're not going to take away the the win from Medina Spirit yet because there's also, based on lawsuit, there's also going to be a urine sample and DNA samples – uh, being tested. The The big thing about this is that usually when a horse is injected with the steroid drug that, that, that they found in them, that's an immediate suspension when it, when it becomes an overage. But in this case, it was an ointment prescribed by a veterinarian. And as we spoke about it, it is the trainer's obligation and responsibility to know anything that's being given to the horse right they they just overlooked the ingredients and the drug was in there so 
But ultimately, I think what's going to happen is that they're going to strip the win from Medina Spirit, Bob Baffert, and the owners of the horse, and that uh, they're going to bump up the second and third place horses. And um, and, and the second you know, place finisher at the Derby was Mandaloon or Mandaloon? Yeah, Man- Mandaloon was second. Yeah. exactly. And so- um, you know, it's. It's, it's unfortunately, it's another black guy for horse racing. Yeah. And, you know, I was talking with a couple of people about Baffert. You know, Bob Baffert, arguably, you could argue, is the greatest trainer in the history of the sport. Right. But unfortunately, what's happened with him in recent years, he's going to be likened more like the Rick Pitino of horse racing, if you understand sure. that analogy. Yeah, so um, I, I am curious about one thing, and that is why was Medina Spirit allowed to run in the Preakness? Was it because that second test from the Derby had not yet been processed? Um, I think that's part of it. I think part of it is also that, um, you know, Bob Baffert history in the Kentucky Derby you know, Churchill Downs wanted him to be a part of the Kentucky Derby. He had won six times prior to that. So um, I'm saying, why, know, why, why did they allow the horse to run at the Preakness? Is what I meant. If I didn't say it that okay. way. Okay. Um, <clears throat> to me, that's a. I'll give you my opinion. I don't know it factually, but you know, uh, Pimlico, Laurel Racetrack, uh, as well as Gulfstream Park and Santa Anita are owned by a company called the Strana Group, which actually now goes by First Bet. But because Bob Baffert is hugely regarded and, and respected in California where Santa Anita is. So the Strana Group owns that track, and they, because they own Maryland Racing as well at Laurel and Pimlico, they didn't want to ban them. So, and on top of that, by not banning them, it brings, you know, the casual horse racing fan, they know who Bob Baffert is, you know, the silver hair, good looking, charismatic guy. So, you know, they wanted more viewership and maybe even more betting. So that's a simple answer without the horse though, did pass some sort of test prior to the Preakness for like immediate, like the test that is going to hang Baffert for two years and perhaps strike Medina Spirit as the Derby winner is the second test post Kentucky Derby, and that wasn't processed until recently. Um, but the the horse was tested prior to the Preakness, was it not? And it was tested, and it came back negative for whatever it was that was found at the Derby. Yeah, you know, in all big racing, uh, the horses get tested. Po, uh, pre-race and post-race. Right. So yeah, all the horses were tested and he came back clean. You know, and and I think we I I alluded to the fact that he may have he may possibly come up uh, positive because they may have been treating him with the same ointment because they didn't know until the Monday before the Preakness that he came up positive for the derby. Right. So, but you know what 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 this is also spearheading. And just uh, let me touch on this real quickly is back at last year in 2020, Congress passed 
what's called the Horse Racing Integrity and Safety Authority Act. And because horse racing doesn't have like a commissioner office like every other sport does, um, it's been state regulated and also track regulated by the owners of the tracks. And they kind of take a blind eye um, and let things happen without big penalties. So now Congress has stepped in and the, the integrity and safety authority is going to be anti-doping, medication, reform, track safety, and total oversight of the industry, which is needed. And that's going to make a big change in what happens moving forward. And it's also going to create stricter penalties for, you know, uh, drug over uh, overuse, like what happened to Bob Baffert and other trainers. All right. Um, Eddie C is joining us. Follow him on Twitter at it's me, Eddie C. I T S M E Eddie C. Um, he's got a lot of followers and he is a sharp when it comes to picking horses. And a lot of you will be tuning in as the third leg of the triple crown, the Belmont stakes goes tomorrow afternoon. So let's get to this race, um, tomorrow afternoon. Um, I, I looked at the odds, uh, and before you make your picks, I am curious. I do know that the Belmont is the longest of the three Triple Crown events, um, and it tends to take into uh, consideration sometimes the fact that some of these horses that win the Derby and Preakness are not more longer-distance horses. Um, but Ron Bauer is not the favorite. Why not? Um, well... A couple of things. Uh, the two horse essential quality is the favorite and deservedly so because he was also the two-year-old champion. He won the Breeders' Cup Juvenile as a two-year-old um, and had never had had never lost a race until the Kentucky Derby. And I've watched the replay a few times. Uh, essential quality got bumped at the beginning and ran four or five wide throughout the race, ran more ground than any other horse in the race and just kind of flattened out at the end finished four finished fourth right finished fourth but only by a length right. and he ran he ran like almost 10 lengths more than ron bauer did now that being said um you know this race it's a pretty strong field even though there's only eight horses but a big a, a, a big change in the race happened yesterday when the jockey of the six horse known agenda, the jockeys called Irad Ortiz jr. Who is arguably the best jockey in the game right now. Uh, he was ru running in a race yesterday and his horse took a bad step. He fell and got injured and he's out for a few weeks. So he's not going to ride the six horse. So right now we don't know who's riding the six horse yet, even though I have a guess of it's either going to be his brother, Jose, that's going to ride him or this guy, JJ Castellano, Javier Castellano, who has a big relationship, longstanding relationship with the trainer, Todd Pletcher. That being said, known agenda was going to be my choice as the top choice and also morning line six to one odds. So I like the value of them. But I can't tell you if that's going to be my top choice today without knowing who the jockey's going to be. Right. Um, go ahead. No, I was just going to say um, what's interesting about looking at 
the odds to this race, and you would have much more information than I. But you've got four horses. Your top four horses are all, you know, essentially, uh, I would not call them co-favorites. Essential quality right now, two to one. Ron Bauer, three to one. Hot Rod Charlie is seven to two or three and a half to one. And Rock Your World is nine to two or four and a half to one. That's that's pretty tight for the top four horses typically um, in a race like this, is it not? Yeah, it is. It, it, for a race like this, it's 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 a little um, kind of toss up. It, yeah, it, and it's also not the norm. Usually, you might have, you know, you may have one horse that's a, a standout favorite with maybe a close second choice, and right. then everybody else is going to be a value play. But um, you know, as you look at this. As I look at this race, it's the seven-horse Rocky World. He's the speed of the race, and he should go to the front. He had a terrible break at the uh, it, when he ran in in the uh, in the Derby, where the jockey uh, Joel Rosario he lost his stirrup at the right when the gates opened up, and then he got banged up. So he had zero chance. And he was like the second or third choice going into that race to begin with. And he's a very good horse. He hadn't lost a race prior to that as well. So he's going to be the speed. And then you have the two-horse essential quality and the four-horse hot rod Charlie should be very close to the lead with them. Now, it just depends if anybody runs and pressures Rock Your World. Because if they don't, I... I think this horse could go gate the wire uh, and never get caught. But I think essential quality is going to be right close to him within a length of him all the way around. And seeing as though uh, he he ran so so much more ground than any other horse in the in, in the Derby, I think he's going to. I think essential quality, the two horses, is going to end up winning. And and unfortunately, value wise, I think he's going to go off at like even money six to five, something like that. Okay. Um, so that's your pick essential quality. It, it's my, it, it's, it's what I think is going to happen. Okay. Whether I bet it or not, I'm not sure yet, but yes. All right. So is that last time you, you framed it and this is what led to a lot of people playing it and um, benefiting from what they played based on what you said, you said the wise guys are on the following horses and Ron Bauer and Midnight Bourbon, who finished one, two, or two of the three, I think you mentioned. So, who are the wise guys on in this in this race? Uh, I would have said you. before. I, I would have said before what happened yesterday that the six horse known agenda, yeah, would have been would 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 have been it. And if if JJ Castellano gets the mount, I will be playing the six horse known agenda. What will I happen mean, to the odds right now? Six to one. Where was it before the jockey news and where will it be if the right jockeys pick to, to ride known agenda? I think, I think the odds on known agenda will probably drop to about four to one, okay. um, maybe three to one. Uh, I think the odds on Ron Bauer and hot rod Charlie will probably go up. Um, I still like Ron Bauer as a horse. The only thing is I don't think there's enough speed for him to close into. Um, so it, it's an interesting race. Uh, I sometimes, one of the things I say is don't overthink it. You know, don't try to 
pick value when there isn't value. You know, if you were to play a, say, a $20 straight exacta, the two horse with the uh, essential quality over the seven horse rock your world, you're going to get value in that payback because it's still going to pay about $20 for the exact and you get that, you'll get back a couple hundred bucks for that. Right. Let me, let me add one thing though. Um, I do have uh, a contact up at Belmont that's been there for the last two weeks. Uh, I call him Rufus and he's been giving me updates. You, you on call, you call, you call him Rufus? Rufus. Okay. Yes. His real name is is Bruce, but okay. all, all of us, and he's from Kensington, just like I am. Okay, so but, so but, Bruce, aka Rufus, told you what? Yeah, so he's been up there the last couple of weeks, watching the workouts and, and and you know talking to some of the people on the backside and, and stuff like that. And he he was telling me that known agenda looked fantastic. So I. I, I I don't want to tell you that it's only two six. I mean, more than likely, I'm going to play known agenda, the six horse with the two and the seven, you know, essential quality and rock your world. So for just like we did for the Preakness, I'm going to I got to stick with my guns and use known agenda. All right. Known agenda. But you like the favorite essential quality. You like rock your world as a speed horse. And depending on how this thing runs, maybe, you know, gate to finish. Um, but uh, but you're gonna you're gonna pl- you, you like known agenda. Obviously, I would check in with Eddie before the race on Twitter to get his thoughts about whatever jockey decision is made there, right? Because that could certainly influence how you feel pre-race. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and 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 I don't know if you saw the Kentucky Derby or not. Known agenda was in the one hole, which is right by the rail, right? And it's a terrible draw in a twenty horse twenty field. horses, yeah. And a hundred yards in, he got destroyed by a couple of horses and had no chance. And he actually ended up running okay, but he was one of the top four or five choices in that race going into it. So that's another reason why I like it. And, and the breeding, I'm a big breeder. I, I, I look at the at the bloodlines of from the sire and the dam side, and hit the the breeding on known agenda is impeccable breeding. So that's the other reason. All right. So tomorrow, check in with Eddie via Twitter. It's at it's me Eddie C. Known agenda, which you're predicting will go off somewhere in the four to one range, um, and won't will not be the favorite even at that point. You you're, you you think essential quality goes to even money. Um, Close to it, yes, for sure. Prior to the race, so, um, so, look, you're 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 going to pick, you're going to pick known quality here to to win the race. That's going that's going to be your bet right now, as of right now, and as an exacta, you would go what? I would, I would box, which means yeah, two horses have to come first and second, second in any order. Yep. Yeah, I would box known agenda with essential quality, and then I would box known agenda with rock your world. Um, but you know, again, on a betting standpoint, I'm betting known agenda because of value. In 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 reality, essential quality is definitely the horse to be. Eddie, thanks. As uh, I mean, this hopefully you go two for two here. And then we can start picking races that are just on television that people want to bet uh, over the summer um, or into the fall. Um, but- well, I'll, t- I'll tell you what, Kevin. Sorry to interrupt, but yeah, we got um, 
you know, I don't know if you've ever been up to Saratoga. Uh, a bunch, in- a bunch of guys I know go up there every summer and have quite the weekend. So uh, I know that you've got a place up there, and that's where you spend a lot of time. So we we would, I may take you up on your offer at some point. Well, uh, uh, the racing up at Saratoga, that's where uh, every every weekend is a big race. They, they put it on TV, usually on NBC or NBCSN. So, uh, it, you know, if your listeners uh, are, are willing to listen and, and if you think that we bring value, yeah, we could do the, you know, once a week for Saratoga or every other week for Saratoga because it's that's that that's my home. As I as as you know, that it's my house. <laughs> Known agenda, um, box, uh, exacta box, essential quality and known agenda, and rock your world in known agenda. But Eddie's making it very clear that the jockey decision on known agenda is a big one. So uh, follow him on Twitter um, and and get the latest on that. And that he does think essential quality is going to win this race. But for value, known agenda. At you know a projected four to one somewhere in that uh, neighborhood is a good play. Eddie, thanks as always. Really appreciate it. Hey, appreciate it, Kevin. Take care, man, and have a great weekend. Everybody else, have a great weekend. Back on Monday. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.